Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. No, you're not losing your mind, not more than usual anyway. I'm not the regular host, Drew Sebastini. I'm fiction editor Meredith Morgenstern. In honor of the dark and divine feminine that is Women in Horror Month, I've taken the bloody baton from Drew for a while. This month, I'll explore some of the most common themes in horror written by and about women. I'll also honor a few horror midwives, those who help birth some of our wickedest nightmares. But first, as the fiction editor here, I'd like to thank all you weirdos for your recent submissions. They gave me enough nightmare fuel for a good long while. We received a lot of stories of cannibalism this time around, which makes me wonder what some of you got up to during quarantine. I'd also like to thank everyone who submitted a haunted house story, as you made my petrified little heart burst with rancid delight. I'm incredibly grateful to our new slush readers, who've worked hard these last few months. Kathy Palm, Christy Nogle, Elizabeth Huffstetler, Kathleen Beckett, Jasmine Arch, and Amanda Delmel. Thank you all from the bottom of my dark and bleeding soul. As Drew mentioned earlier, Tales to Terrify is committed to highlighting the incredible diversity within the horror community. Therefore, when we talk about women in horror, we mean all women. Let's start things off with something I think most women can identify with. Body horror. Body horror is a subgenre in which the focus is on, you guessed it, human bodies. They change and shift. They are altered and mutilated. Body horror can be quite gruesome because it shows us some of our worst fears come true. It often centralizes a lack of autonomy and the othering of something we kind of take for granted. Sometimes the main characters instigate their own extreme body modifications, but usually body horror happens to characters against their wills. The imagery in body horror is most often intentionally unnerving. This is not a subtle genre. 
our minds don't want to think about a living, breathing human Picasso painting, or of a human whole made from the parts of previously deceased people, as with Mary Shelley's monster. Women's bodies are generally considered public domain, whether it's being told we're too fat or too thin, too old, too pale, or too dark. Strangers touch our pregnant bellies. People tell us that our bodies define our genders. Women are pushed to alter and mutilate themselves for the sake of society. No wonder body horror appeals to women. We write, read, and watch body horror because that's our lived experience. Body horror written by women is both personal and universal. For us ladies, body horror is just life. If you're ready for body horror that explores what it means to live inside a female presenting body, here are my recommendations. Transmuted by Eve Harms. The Queen of Teeth by Haley Piper. And The Rest Maidens by Gwendolyn Keist. This is by no means a complete list. Let us know your favorite body horror written by women by tagging us at Tales to Terrify over on Twitter. We have two stories for you this evening, written and narrated by some marvelous mistresses of the macabre and one eerily familiar voice. Our first story is a poem called Light as a Feather by Amy S. Cutler. Amy S. Cutler is a writer who earned her master's degree in creative writing from Goddard College. Her work can be found in Tales to Terrify, Wow! Women on Writing, The Pitkin Review, Wellness Universe, and Elephant Journal. Her novel, A Shadow of Love, will be released in May of 2022. She can be contacted through amyshippiehut.com. Children of the Night, join me for Amy S. Cutler's Light as a Feather, a Tales to Terrify original. I didn't mean to kill him out on this lonely road where I've waited for decades to find my way back home. I hide upon the daylight. I walk the road at night. My death replays at sundown, but I never see the light. It came along with friends, a birthday celebration not knowing that their game was a powerful incantation. Just children on their bicycles playing a child's game, light as a feather, stiff as a board. Now they'll never be the same. I was pulled into his body when he began to rise. I screamed right through his mouth as I was trapped inside. He struggled when we parted, blood pouring from his nose. I tried to hang on to his life. I tore at his birthday clothes. I didn't mean to kill him. Now he's as lost as I. No light came from him either, as he didn't want to die. A ghost that kills the living will never find the light. And as he walks beside me, he calls upon the night. Posters scattered all about, saying, Have you seen my boy? It was his life and his friends that I alone destroyed. This road is filled with sadness, and so many have been lost. Before you play games with the dead, you should really know 
the cost. That was Amy S. Cutler's Light as a Feather, as read by our own Drew Sebastini. You might recognize Drew as the host and producer of Tales to Terrify, but he loves to get behind the mic for a story whenever he gets the chance. By day, he spins stories with words and pictures as an advertising copywriter, designer, and creative director. But by the light of the moon, he can be found weaving tales for sound and screen, designing and 3D printing strange Rube Goldberg contraptions to solve simple, everyday problems, and working on an endless array of other creative and home improvement projects. Drew lives in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada, with his son and a menagerie of small furry creatures. Discover more about Drew at his embarrassingly outdated website, idrewthis.ca. Thank you, Drew. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. Our second story is The Family Business by Brooke Brannon. Brooke Brannon is an American writer who lives and works in England. Children of the Night, join me for Brooke Brannon's The Family Business, a Tales to Terrify original. Twenty years of marriage and Chuck Landry, detective with the Seattle Police Department, never questioned what his sweet-faced wife was doing in the woods behind their home until his co-workers showed up to arrest her for murder. It was 10 a.m. on a Friday morning, Chuck's day off. He'd been in the kitchen drinking a cup of coffee and watching Daisy chop dark chocolate with a meat cleaver. She was making the cake that wasn't sweet so much as it was rich. It used espresso, dark rum, and two pounds of butter, and it was his favorite. All the while, a thrush sang outside the French doors, which were open to the rolling green lawn and Blackwell Woods beyond. The smell of the chocolate mingled with the warm breeze from the late spring day. So even though the pollen had been making his eyes itch all morning, Chuck was gearing up to have a good day. And now, a detective from Homicide, Chuck himself was in vice, 
was standing in the middle of his bright, sunny kitchen, explaining to Chuck's wife, his wife, for Christ's sakes, that she had the right to remain silent. This is ridiculous, Chuck told Detective Co. She's a housewife, for Christ's sakes. Co. ignored him. Daisy Blackwell Landry, you are being held on investigation of homicide, following the discovery of body parts at your farm. Daisy sat on a stool surrounded by her work, bowls she'd made in the pottery studio. She looked from Co. to Chuck, her green eyes wide, probably terrified. Who'd she kill? I've been with her all morning, and the worst thing she's done is crack open a couple eggs, Chuck said. You have the right to an attorney. Hold on a minute, Chuck said, holding his hands like he was trying to stop a slow rolling car. How can you just barge in here and do this? What proof do you have? Do you even have a warrant? Co calmly finished the Miranda, slapped a folded piece of paper against Chuck's chest, and said, There's your warrant, and we've got another one to search the premises. Now, Mrs. Landry, there's no need for cuffs, right? Of course, Daisy turned to him. Chuck, honey, call the office. They'll send an attorney. The office, being Blackwell Family Group, BFG, the charity her family had founded. It helped women out of abusive situations and into stable jobs and homes, like the women who worked on their farm. BFG would hire a fleet of flesh-eating defense attorneys on Daisy's behalf, which was good because Daisy was about as cutthroat as a bunch of ducklings. His wife was no killer. That Chuck knew for sure. Killers were men. They killed for love or they killed for money. Killers were not middle-aged housewives. They were not mothers who somehow managed to retain a close, loving relationship with their teenage daughters, even when those daughters turned into selfie-taking, trash-talking jerks. Killers were not constantly shepherding packs of girls to cheerleading competitions, swim meets, model UN conferences. And they certainly were not planning art retreats and camping weekends at the family farm in Blackwell Woods, a 500-acre parcel that began at the edge of their backyard. His eyes would not stop itching. Chuck, call BFG, Daisy said gently his lovely wife sitting there helpless and scared. The minute he'd met her, when they were just out of their teens themselves, he'd needed to protect her, keep her safe. That hadn't changed. The hell with this. Chuck took Co by the arm. Look, buddy, this is a mistake. Co froze. You wanna watch what you do now, he said to Chuck, his voice hard and low. Ropey biceps standing out on his smooth flesh. You want to be careful. Chuck released him. Okay, okay. I just want to know what's going on. Come on, man. What if it was your wife? I'm gay and I'm single, Co said. And you know the drill. You want answers? Call the county prosecutor. Now, if you'll excuse me, I've got a search warrant to execute. Can I just get him some Benadryl first? Daisy asked. Co wheeled on her, looking like he was about to lose his cool. In different circumstances, Chuck would have found it funny. Of course, Daisy was still taking care of him. Mrs. Landry, you need to take this seriously. I am. It's just that Chuck doesn't know where they are and he gets terrible hay fever. They both looked at Chuck whose eyes throbbed. Co took a deep breath and closed his eyes. Fine, where are they? We'll have someone get them. He sent an officer up the back stairs, which curved up gracefully from the corner of the room to the back part of the house. Chuck hugged his wife. He was a few inches taller than her normally, but with her seated, they were the same height, which he didn't like. He hugged her anyway. Shelby, their daughter, was the tall one in the family. Only 15 and she was already taller than he was. She and her friends lounged around after cheerleading practice, their long legs bare in their short shorts, delicately manicured feet propped up on the sofa in the alcove off the kitchen. 
They talked about boys in their class like they were already in their 20s, cruising the bars and doing God knew what. As she did so often, Daisy seemed to read his mind. We'll have Shelby stay overnight with Penny and the girls, she said. Chuck was about to protest, but an officer arrived with Benadryl. Chuck took it and the phone into the alcove, which had a working fireplace and walls that were tomato sauce red. He sat on the sofa and pulled his notebook out of his back pocket. He'd always prided himself on keeping his wife and daughter safe, sheltered from the grim world of his work. And now they were in the thick of it. It was his worst nightmare. He shook it off and called the county prosecutor, a woman named Schaefer. It turned out that a hiker who volunteered with search and rescue had been out training her dog on the public trails that surrounded Blackwell Farm. The dog caught the scent in one of the animal pens, dug up a severed arm, and started barking like crazy. It could have been anyone, but it wasn't. It was the ex-husband of their head groom, Clementina, who'd worked for them for years. Why wouldn't Clementina be suspect numero uno? Chuck asked Schaefer. Because the day he disappeared, she was in court and Daisy was the last person to see him alive. A delivery driver saw them arguing, Schaefer said. There's also a print. At the farm? Of course you found a print. Daisy's there all the time. He was having a hard time keeping a lid on his anger. They knew him, for Christ's sake. Schaefer took a beat. Look, this is a professional courtesy. I'm sorry, please continue. But his tone gave him away. That's really all I can say for now. Have your attorney get in touch. He put the phone down, popped up on a stool, and started writing notes on a legal pad. Call Penny, call BFG for lawyer, arrange bail. Christ. He couldn't concentrate. It was hard to imagine anything so gruesome happening on the farm. It was on 100 acres carved out of the larger Blackwell woods and kept private for their family. It included his wife's pride and joy, an art studio with 15-foot windows, three pottery wheels, and a massive kiln. From there, a little path made out of crushed shells led to a spot with the city's best view of Elliott Bay and the Sound. His wife made a little noise and he looked over at her, certain she was about to break down, but she'd started putting the ingredients for the cake away, calm as anything. Of course she is. She doesn't want to worry me. It's going to be all right, I promise, she said. How? They have a print. She bobbed her head as if to say, maybe they do, maybe they don't. Then an officer came to take her away. The man towered over her. Chuck hated that. Don't worry, his wife said. Call the office, they'll take care of everything. The door glided shut behind her, and then it was just him, the smell of chocolate and the sound of wind chimes. Chuck knew he was a lucky man, and not just because his wife had inherited the Blackwell fortune. He was lucky because she loved him, she was one of those rare women who liked the traditional life. She took care of him. She cooked his meals, raised shell, even sewed some of his clothes, and she let him run the show. She greeted him every night with a smile and a kiss and made him feel wanted and loved. She had made their home a warm refuge from the grim world he worked in. When he'd met her, he'd been different. There'd been some complaints at work, crazy feminists spouting off about mistreatment, and the working girls, of course. There'd been that. They'd been young in those days, real young, when that used to be okay. But that was all over now, Shell's friend's legs notwithstanding. He was different because of her. She'd made him a better man. He shook himself out of it. Now was not the time for ancient history, now was the time for trading on his connections. Chuck picked up the phone and dialed his ex-partner, Penny Orchard, state attorney general and his wife's best friend. Is this about the mushroom factory? Penny asked. What? There was a pause. A nothing. A school project Shelby's helping the girls with. It's about Daisy. I need your help. I don't think I can, Chuck, 
You don't even know what I'm calling about. Except that I do, she said. Schaefer brought me in to review the case before they took action. I can't discuss it, Chuck. I'm involved. He sat back, dumbfounded. Penny was his ace in the hole, his one chance to make this ridiculous mess go away. His phone chimed with a text from Penny. Can't talk now. Meet me at eight at Mag's. Meanwhile, Penny was speaking. I understand Shelby's coming over this afternoon to spend the night. Chuck shook his head in a daze. Yeah, Daisy must have texted her. He'd totally forgotten. I mean, the girls would be fine at my place. Nope, don't worry about it. We'll take good care of her. They can work on the mushrooms, Chuck said. The, yes, right. Listen, I have to go, but I'll be happy to speak to Daisy's attorney, Penny said and hung up. Later at the bar, a 70s era tavern with no windows, a busted jukebox, and rips in the black vinyl tops of each bar stool, Penny waved at him from the back booth. The only other soul there was the bartender, Ken, who'd been hired for his surliness and his ability to repel hipsters. Ken had a thing for Penny. The tabletop was rough and worn, studded with splinters, the varnish peeling off in delicate yellow strips. The only light came from the neon beer signs festooning the walls. Penny blew cigarette smoke toward the open back door. He sat, waving the smoke away. It stung his eyes. You look like shit, Chuck. Hey, Fever, how come Ken lets you smoke inside? There is a law, you know. He loves me, don't you, Ken? Ken shot her the bird. Penny dug out a bottle of eye drops out of her purse. Here, fix yourself. The eye drops went in cold and shocking, but immediately the itching went away. He blinked a few times and then focused on his ex-partner. I talked to Schaefer. So, then you know, they've got a case. We've got her a lawyer and they're working on bail. She'll be out by morning. He tried not to think of his wife spending the night in jail. You know what chaps my ass? First, I hear about any of this is when fucking Co shows up at my house with his goons. Penny worked the cigarette like it owed her money. At my house, Penny. How about a little professional goddamn courtesy? Maybe they thought you'd help her run or hide the evidence. She jabbed her cigarette at him. And maybe you would have. He sat back, genuinely affronted. Excuse me? She crossed her arms over her chest. I'm just saying. Well, don't just say. He hated that expression. Shelby used it all the time. You know me better than that. She did. She'd been around in the bad old days. She raised her eyebrows and dropped her chin. That pissed him off. Chuck Landry had been a good cop for 20 years, and his ex-partner knew it. If my wife killed someone, which she didn't, I'd be first in line to arrest her. She eyed him. Well, there's a print. It's Daisy's. Yeah, well, it's her farm. It's also in the Vic's blood. They found teeth, too. The lab has them now. They're trying to figure out if they're from the missing guy. Oh, yeah, I'm sure he was the type who never missed his yearly checkup. Or if there are multiple Vicks. Jesus. All of this was in the pig pen, so, you know, the techs are going to be sifting through shit for a couple days. Literally. Then the other shoe dropped. Oh, man. The pigs? Gross. Penny half smiled. Well, it's a classic for a reason. Chuck shuffled the facts like he was working a deck of cards. Okay, so it's got to be the wife, right? Clementina. Our Vic goes to see her at the farm, gets rough with her. She, what, she clocks him with a wrench or something and then has to get rid of the body. Except she was in court that day, Penny said. Chuck waved it away. So someone else does it for her. Maybe one of her little buddies at the farm. Little buddies? Don't get pissy, you know what I mean. Anyway, the only way Daisy's involved is helping Clementina move the body. 
He couldn't believe his own words. The only thing more ridiculous than his wife moving a body was him making excuses for it. Penny lit another cigarette. She'd finished the golds. This one was a marble red from the battered vending machine in the back. Look, this is crazy, Chuck said. Daisy couldn't hurt a fly. She exhaled and looked down at the table, picking at it with long, slender fingers. Stop peeling the goddamn table and give me some answers, he said, and felt Ken's attention land on him. He put his hands up as if in surrender. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, all right. My wife's cooling her heels at county, and you're pulling the Sphinx act. I could use some help. He couldn't read her, and that made him angry. More than that, furious. When they'd been partners, he could read her like a book. They'd been great together. They'd put away more bad guys than any other pair in the West Precinct. But then she went to law school and started working for the county. And before you knew it, she was running for AG. And damn if she didn't win. Somewhere in there, they'd lost something between the two of them. They were still tight, but it wasn't the same. These days, she'd come to the house and hole up in the kitchen with his wife baking and drinking coffee and talking endlessly about how to parent daughters in this fucked up world. Meanwhile, the girls would practice cheerleading routines in the backyard, short skirts flying. Penny sat back and took a long, hard drag on her cigarette, eyes on the far corner of the bar. Look at me, Pen. I need to know what's going on. She did. Her stare was long and hard and uncomfortable. Leave it alone, Chuck. I'm telling you as a friend. His wife in a holding cell. His wife. It was a slap in the face. There has to be something you can do. My hands are tied, Chuck. So what am I supposed to do? Maybe we'll get lucky and there'll be a screw up at the lab. She laughed, a brittle little thing. What the fuck is going on here? Why'd you review the case anyway? Chuck asked. Wouldn't you? If you could stop this from happening, wouldn't you? Of course, she's my wife. The Vic was a scumbag. And she's innocent. There's that, not that anyone seems to care. He took a deep, cleansing swallow of beer. What if she wasn't, for argument's sake? He scoffed. I'd turn her in myself. You know that. Penny looked suspicious. Jesus, Pen, you know I would. Being a cop is in my DNA. I couldn't do anything else. She shook out a new cigarette and lit it with the old one. What if she had a good reason? What are we, back in the academy now? It's not like you always kept your nose clean. All those girls back in the day? His face went to stone. That was a long time ago. You didn't seem to mind letting those young girls off if they had a good story. He felt a vein at his neck start to throb. He worked hard not to remember those nights. When Penny was off chasing the bottom of a bottle at Mag's, and those working girls, some just Shelby's age, would sit with him in the patrol car and talk. And do other things. And then they would leave, walking away from his car with their little hips loose, tugging their clothes back into place, redoing their lipstick, their cheap dime store lipstick. He could still smell it, waxy and sweet like bubble gum. He found himself getting hard and clamped down on it. Dead dogs, tax returns, his grandmother, naked. I don't do that shit anymore. And I don't want to get into some bullshit argument about moral relativity with you right now. I want to figure out how to get my wife out of jail. She tossed back the rest of her drink, making eye contact with him the entire time. Anyway, how's Shelby doing? Penny dodged his eyes. She's all right. The girls are watching chick flicks and trying to distract her. Chick flicks, Jesus. They're all getting so big, Chuck mused. This time last year, weren't they still into Minecraft? That was a good four years ago. Hmm. 
Chuck took a drag of a cigarette. If you need a break, they can come over tomorrow night. Penny stared at him for a beat too long. He just waved at Ken and asked for a scotch. Time to go. Penny slung the Marlboros across the table at him. Here, you need these more than I do. Drive safe. He drove home. Their wedding cake house, which usually glowed from within, loomed out of the darkness like a shipwreck. When he opened the door, a cold breeze hit him. He'd left the French doors open. The air in the house felt thick and slow. The kitchen usually felt like the beating heart of the house. In winter, the house usually smelled like dinner or fresh bread. Now, all he could smell were the ashes from the fireplace. He put the heat up and turned on all the lights in the kitchen. Take away the bright pottery and the wooden chickens, and it could have belonged to a professional. There sat the vast Viking stove, and there the double refrigerator, gleaming silver, not a spot on it. A built-in bookshelf held at least 80 well-used titles. Cookbooks and reference manuals on everything from mushrooms of the Pacific Northwest to artisanal butchery. In pride of place was the professional chopping block. On the wall within easy reach hung his wife's collection of Japanese carving knives. He'd always thought of her as just a happy little housewife. But this kitchen was the room of a seasoned, efficient professional, someone highly competent. He walked to the drinks cabinet and poured himself a large bourbon, as if teaching the kitchen who was boss. He knew who Daisy was, and no Viking stove would tell him different. Then he retreated to the other end of the house. It was the longest night of his life. He finally fell asleep around five in the recliner. At 6.47, the phone rang, zapping him out of sleep. Chuck rubbed his face and willed his eyes to open. They felt glued shut with pollen. Finally, one popped open and then the other. He answered the phone. It was the governor. I cannot believe this. It's a travesty, she said. Governor Thomas, we're getting her out of there immediately. That's, that's good news. You haven't heard. I am sorry. I thought Penny would have been in touch. Yes, your wife is being released immediately, and you and she will have a full and complete apology in writing from the chief of police. What happened? It seems to have been a freak accident. So my wife will be home just as soon as the people at County finish the paperwork. Chuck hit the eye drops, texted Shelby, and then stumbled into the kitchen for coffee. His wife was home 45 minutes later, delivered in an unmarked by Detective Co. himself, who apologized to them both, his eyes flat and hard to read. Chuck wondered if he'd already been fired. If he hadn't, Chuck would make it his life's work. But for now, he hugged his wife. Her hair smelled of coconut and her eyes shone, and she smiled up at him like always, making him feel warm and wanted and good. She rocked him back and forth, such a funny thing. She was so much smaller than he was, but that move never failed to comfort him. It's all right, Chuck. Didn't I tell you it would be? He held her tighter. 20 years of being a cop's wife and she still didn't understand how the legal system worked. They had evidence. If you weren't connected, they would have put you away, he said. It was never going to come to that. Of course not. Everybody knows you couldn't hurt a fly. She stilled, then said, Well, it's good to be a Blackwell. We have such good friends. Electric impulses zapped across the tops of his hand. A stress response he only felt when he was on the job. He looked at her. She had the same sweet smile, wide green eyes, the same pearly complexion, the same curly black hair his sweet-faced wife. Look, I've been up all night, she said. I'm going to shower and then we can talk more. He nodded and didn't watch as she stepped up the stairs, her tread a little less dainty than it once had been, but still light. Above him, the door to the master suite opened, then closed quietly, as if, as usual, she didn't want to make a disturbance to the peace of the house. His daughter came flying in the door less than a minute later and headed straight for the stairs. 
The sight of her shook something loose in him. Shelby, he said. Wait. Shelby rolled her eyes. Yes? Penny mentioned something about a mushroom project for school. You know anything about that? A mushroom factory? Never heard of it. Is mom upstairs? He nodded and his girl, at once a pain in the ass and the light of his life, shot up the stairs. Penny and Daisy. Daisy and Penny. How had he missed it? Later that day, after Daisy had cleaned up and calmed Shelby down and made them all brunch, making his omelet just the way he liked it, with cheese and raw onions and mushrooms she'd foraged herself, they'd walked, as a family, down to the farm. Shelby went off to groom her horse while Daisy worked up a bowl on the pottery wheel. The breeze off the sound must have been blowing the pollen away, because Chuck's eyes weren't itching. He watched his wife wet her hands, shape the bowl, wet her hands again, shape the bowl more. The air smelled like clay and grass and salt. The morning was perfect. So, Penny's in on it, Chuck said. What's that, sweetheart? Daisy was laser focused on the bowl. Penny, she knows. What? She kept working the wheel, but he knew he had her. You forget, we were partners for years. I know a penny code word when I hear one. Mushroom factory. Nice. She was asking if I knew. She sighed, splashed her hands in the bucket of water at her side, dried them, and turned to him. She wanted to know if you could be trusted. Tired suddenly, he let his weight slide to one hip, folded his arms across his chest. This isn't the first time, right? She considered him. I need to know. She pursed her mouth as if weighing her options. Okay, think about your job. What do you do? Get bad guys off the street. It's like that. We hear about someone awful, and we have very good sources, and then we make a plan. And it's just you and Penn. More or less. He nodded. His head felt heavy. The governor? She's a friend. He dropped his head in his hands. Jesus, Daisy. How did this happen? She led him outside and down the white shell path as a healthy breeze sent big clouds scudding across the sky. Along the way, she told him the story. How her grandmother had been raped by a farmhand how her grandfather had killed the man and covered it up. The family already worked with disadvantaged children, and through the years, as particularly heinous stories had come to light, one man after another, they were almost always men, the abusers, had been removed. That's what we do, Daisy said. We remove them from harm. You remove them from life, Chuck said. He wanted to press his hands against his ears. He didn't want to know anymore. I thought you were happy. I am. My work is very fulfilling. And of course, there shall be. They were quiet a moment, listening to the seagulls and the distant sounds of a fairy blowing its horn. The question is, can you live with it? This wasn't letting baby whores off for a blowy. She was killing people. Men, men who, like him, might have made a mistake or two in their past, but surely were trying to atone. Was it right for her to take away their chance to improve, to be better men? It's wrong, he said. She nodded and folded her arms around her chest. I thought you might not be able to see it. Over by the barn, Shelby, well out of earshot, held her arms up as if in question. Daisy nodded and pointed to the side. Shelby turned and headed for the little ATV they kept for moving heavy things. Daisy looked back at him. This arrest? It shouldn't have happened. I was sloppy. He shook his head. All he wanted to do was sleep. It had been such a long night. I missed the arm. I was thinking about our schedule for the summer, and then I forgot to tell her about the teeth. Something about that sent a depth charge shooting through his chest.
He looked more closely at the path, the white shells, in pieces but still pearly, still ivory, never mossy or discolored. The teeth? He felt faint. Yes, don't worry, they're ground up. He got off the path so fast his arms pinwheeled. Oh, don't be such a baby, she said. The kiln gets rid of almost everything, but there are always a few fragments of bone and, of course, teeth. You just hit them with a hammer and drop them here. It's all right. Next time, she'll know better. Next time. The sun glinted off the silver weather vane, blinding him for a moment, and then leaving him with a vivid red spot in the middle of his vision. He didn't want to ask. He didn't want to know. But he had to. She? Shelby, of course. No. His knees failed him, and he sank to the ground. Not Shelby. She nodded a little sadly. I felt awful about the pigs, of course. They shouldn't have been that hungry to begin with. But it was her first time, and she wanted to do something different, so pigs, she shrugged. His eyesight was dimming. His head hurt like there was an ice pick through it. God, Daisy, I feel sick. Yes, those are the mushrooms. Penny thought she might be able to get past it, but she can be a bit sentimental. Me, I figured once you knew, that was it. He gaped at her. Then there's this sudden desire to be a better father, she said. It's troubling. Penny and I, we find it troubling, considering your history. His chest felt like it was clenching in a massive knot. It wasn't painful, exactly, but the pressure felt like he'd taken a direct round in the chest. They'll know, he said with the last of his strength. You won't get away with it. Mm, I think I will, though. It'll look like a heart attack, brought on by stress. She kissed him on the forehead. I'm sorry, dear. It's supposed to be painless, and there won't be any pigs. I mean, I'm not cruel. The last thing he saw before he closed his eyes was his daughter approaching with the ATV, a small sled hooked up to it. She was smiling, her eyes hard against the bright morning sun. He slumped over and closed his eyes to the blue April sky. That was The Family Business by Brooke Brannon, as read by Stephanie Nemeth Parker. Stephanie is an actor with over 100 audiobooks to her name so far. She loves narrating horror and sci-fi and romance and, well, everything really. Thank you, Stephanie. Well children of the night. The hour has grown late, our bodies have mutated into unrecognizable horrors, and we run out of tales to tell for now. Tales to Terrify is made possible by the tremendous generosity of our supporters on Patreon and PayPal. Incredible fans like Kathy Robinson and Amanda Gottfried, whose generous support helps keep the lights on and flickering ominously. Not a supporter already? Head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify, where you'll find all kinds of perks, like ad-free and extended episodes, bonus content, and one-of-a-kind collectibles and merch packs. Every dollar goes back into this show to make it as horrific as possible, and we appreciate it so much. Want another way to support the show for free? Head over to Stitcher, Podchaser, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you stream, and leave us a five-star review. We really do read our reviews, 
and you'll help convert new listeners to the terrifying tales we provide. Share your love of Tales to Terrify out in the world with some Tales to Terrify merch. TalesToTerrify.com slash merch will take you to our Tee Public store, where we've got a great collection of creepy custom and curated designs. Tales to Terrify is produced by Drew Sebastini, Seth Williams, Pete Morsellino, Andrew Gibson, and myself, Meredith Morgenstern. Our original theme is by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we mutilate your soul with more Tales to Terrify. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.